What an exciting time to be alive. Even in the midst of all the stuff that's going on in the world, it's the perfect time for us to be alive. I was thinking this morning, as I was trying to get prepared for this message and things like that, I'm so, I'm so grateful that I'm living now. I'm grateful that I'm living in this time of grace. It's incredible because I don't deserve it. But yet it's afforded to me. When we're, when we're, we're going to be in Exodus and, man, if you didn't follow the rules, you know, the law was there to straighten you out. And it still is today, of course. But God's grace, and I'll just put it this way, seems to... Seems to um, put off the punishment maybe a little bit for a little while. And, you know, we say that grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. And I was kind of thinking it's, uh, you know, God might, it might be grace could maybe be defined as God is just hoping that you will come to your senses. And so he extends that time. I don't know. That's just a thought I had about about the grace thing and the time that we're living in, because when we look at Exodus 30, you can go ahead and open your Bibles. We're still in Exodus chapter 30. And we're going to look at 11 through, 11 through 21. It's two different sections, two different topics, but it's all spoken by the Lord. Let's pray, and then we'll see where the Lord leads us. Lord, we come before you. And we are so grateful, Lord, that we are here in this moment and time. It's no accident, Lord, that we're here right now. And Lord, it's no accident that you pour your grace out on us. Even when we don't deserve it, Lord, your grace is there because of what you did for us. We give you the glory, Lord. I thank you for everyone here. I thank you for those that are watching online or will watch online later. I pray, Lord, for this message, Lord, that I have prepared. I pray, Lord, that you would add to, take away, throw away, Lord, anything that's not of you. Speak to us, Lord, individually, corporately. And Lord, may we have ears to hear what the Spirit would say. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So if you have your Bible, open to Exodus chapter 30. I want to read 11 to 16 first. So those of you who can stand, would you please stand with me while we read God's Word? And we will read Exodus 30, 11 to 16. It says this, verse 11. The Lord also spoke to Moses, saying... When you take a census of the sons of Israel to number them, then each one of them shall give a ransom for himself to the Lord. When you number them so that there will be no plague among them when you number them. 13. This is what everyone is numbered shall give. Half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. Half shekel as a contribution to the Lord. 14. Everyone who is numbered from 20 years old and over shall give the contribution to the Lord. 
The rich shall not pay more and the poor shall not pay less than the half shekel. And you shall give the contribution to the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. In verse 16, you shall take the atonement money from the sons of Israel and shall give it to the serv- for the service of the tent of meetings, that it may be a memorial for the sons of Israel before the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So we know that the Lord has been giving Moses direction or instruction all through the, I don't know how many weeks now, talking about the tabernacle, the way things should be made. And this section is no different in the sense of instruction. In verse 11, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses. I love that. The Lord spoke to Moses. If the Lord spoke to Moses, Moses was listening. He had his ears open. He was listening to the instructions of the Lord. And so I was just wondering, when I read this, there were certain things that kind of jumped off at me, and this was one of them. The Lord spoke to Moses. Well, we know that the Lord speaks to us as well, either through his word or just maybe a, 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 your conscience or, your, or somebody else walking by may somehow speak a word of the Lord into your life. The word of God speaks into our life. But the question I have for all of us, because you know I like to make this practical for all of us, right? Is that when the Lord speaks, do we really hear what the Lord says? Now, I tried a little... uh, kind of a test with my wife earlier this afternoon. I went home a little bit early to just to get something to eat and stuff. And so I said, hey, Diane, um, do you hear me? you hear what I'm saying? And she's on her phone because that's what we do, right? We play on her phone. And she says, yeah, I hear you. And I said, Diane, do you really hear me? And then she says, she stopped and put the phone down and then she was really hearing me. I think sometimes we do that with the Lord. Oh yeah, I hear you, Lord. I hear you. I got got it. But do we really hear what the Lord says? Because if we hear what the Lord says, then we're going to do what the Lord says. And that's where I think Moses here is like, he's so tuned in. He's so dialed in with the Lord. You remember he's still up on the mountain and the Lord's given him instructions on what to do. And when the Lord gives him specific, very specific instructions, it's not to punish you or to make you do something odd. It's for your benefit. It was for the benefit of Moses and the people to follow that he followed these instructions to the T. Because we're going to see that if you don't follow the instructions, 
there's punishment. We even know that here today, right? If we don't follow the instructions, there's discipline or something happens. I remember Alex last week used the analogy of the kids' toys and the instructions of putting it together. Well, it's all fine and good if you read the instructions, but if you, if you don't finish it, if you don't follow the complete instructions, it may still work, but it may go all wobbly. It may run sideways instead of running forwards and backwards. It, it may not just be the way that it was supposed to be. And so my question to all of us is that, are you really hearing what the Lord is saying? There was a, the very, when I read this, the very first um, example that came up was Jonah. You remember Jonah in chapter one, the Lord said, Jonah? I want you to go to Nineveh. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to kind of just paraphrase. So excuse me if I get something out of sequence. But the point is that the Lord told Jonah to do something. And I think Jonah heard what he said. I think he was paying some attention, but he did not want to do what the Lord wanted him to do. You remember that he turned and he ran and he went into the boat and down into Tarshish. He was heading down and away from Nineveh. But he didn't get away with it. He ended up in the belly of a fish. Ah, but God's grace, because the second time he said, okay, and he spit him out on the shore. A lot of times we have to be told one, two, three, a dozen times before we get it sunk all the way into our noodle because sometimes it's just really hard. But we know that God's way is always the best way. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. But we seem to think that we can take a shortcut or a sidetrack and get away with it. The fact of the matter is, we can't. We may think that we do things in secret, but God sees everything. Let's look at verse 12. He tells him, when you take a census of the sons of Israel, number them then each one shall give a ransom for himself to the Lord when you number them so there will be no plague among them when you number them. So he knew he was going to take a census. And a census was something that was very important and needed to be done a very um, prescribed way. It wasn't uncommon to take a census. And in fact, in the, here in the United States, we take a census every 10 years. You'll remember in 2020, there was a census taken. But God expected his people to do it the right way. And the, the way is prescribed, and we're going to get to that in just a second. 
The census that I was talking about here, do you know that in those senses, if you don't take it, there can be a fine in jail? Yeah. I read one article that said, if you don't take the census, the fine could be 220, I don't know why this number, $222 a day plus some jail time. If you, and then if you refuse to take it, if you just don't take it, that's one thing, you forget about it or whatever. But if you outright blatantly refuse to take the census, the punishment is even greater. But I also continued reading, and so far nobody's ever been prosecuted for it. But there always is that potential. So when he says to take a census for the sons of Israel to number them, each one of them shall give a ransom for himself. A ransom is what? It's a sum or a price paid or demanded, meaning a means of deliverance or rescue from punishment of sin, especially the payment of a redemptive fine. And when I was reading that, there was this flashback. Sometimes we call them freebies. Oh, did I hear a chuckle? Somebody knows what I'm talking about. But I remember back in the early, early days, in the mid-50s, give or take, do you remember blue chip stamps? Anybody remember blue chip stamps? Well, I remember in, 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 in Valley Boulevard, I was raised, born and raised in El Monte, there was on Valley Boulevard across from the police department, there was a blue chip store redemption center. And it had an all glass front on it and it had all these real pretty items in it, you know, and the way you bought them or purchased them or redeemed them was through these stamps, these blue chip stamps. And I remember we didn't have a toaster. It was a long time ago. Toasters were almost like a luxury, right? We didn't have a toaster, man. We used to, our toast was on a cast iron skillet and would put some butter on it and that's how you toasted your bread. So this thing called a toaster, man, was like, yeah, that's jam up, man. I want a toast. I want a toaster. So my mom, you know, she, she starts saving these blue chips. I don't remember. I don't even remember how many, how many books it took. But she started collecting these uh, blue chip stamps. And I remember she finally got enough, and we got in the car, and we drove down to this store, this blue chip Redemption Center. And we went in and we purchased or redeemed those stamps for a toaster. And man, we went home and we had some toast <laughs> from a real toaster. <laughs> now, obviously, you know, that's a true story, but obviously it's a lot different than what we're talking about, the redemptive value of a person's life. But I use that example of redemption because something had to pay. Something had to buy back the thing that was locked up, in that case, in a store. We are locked up in our sin. And something had to have a redeeming value to purchase us to buy that back. 
Now we're going to see when we start talking about the tabernacle a little bit, the sac- they, we have already the altar of sacrifice. It was the shedding of the blood of the animals that covered our sin. Only covered it. That's why they had to keep sacrificing and sacrificing. But then there came the perfect lamb, the perfect sacrifice. And that's one of the reasons why when I opened this, I said, I'm so grateful that we live in this time of grace. We don't have to sacrifice those animals like that anymore. It's already been done, and it's already been paid. So, why pay this to the Lord? Back to our text. So that there will be no plague among them. Look look at it again. Whenever you take the census of the sons of Israel to number them, then each one of them shall give a ransom for himself to the Lord when you number them. Now there's some people that will say that they're buying their salvation. That's not true. They're not buying. Salvation is a free gift. The reason is so that there's no plague among them when you are numbered. In verse 13 it says, this is what everyone who is numbered shall give. There's a price to pay here. Everyone who is numbered shall give a half shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. A half shekel, of course, is not very... I think it's like four-tenths of a gram. Don't quote me on that, but I think I read that. It's just very, very minute amount of silver. And this is what, verse 13 again, this is what everyone is numbered shall give. And it's a half a shekel, according to the shekel of the sanctuary half shekel as a contribution a contribution to the Lord now we're going to look at this contribution to the Lord in just a minute but I want to highlight that just for a second and then who's to give everyone who is numbered from 20 years old and over shall give the contribution to the Lord Whenever the Israelites took a a census, and for whatever reason, God wanted it done a certain way. All of these men of Israel would gather in one place, and as they would number, they would count off one by one. They crossed over to the other side, moving from one group that hadn't been counted to the group that had been counting. And on their way over, they would pay that half shekel. I have a side note here that um, a shekel was not a coin but a unit of measure. Its size varied throughout the ancient world. But we're talking about a specific one at a specific time. A shekel was small, less than a half shekel was even smaller, much less than, much less than an ounce. And by the time Moses had finished counting, there was a huge pile of silver And this silver belonged to the Lord. Remember, it says a contribution to the Lord. This money belonged to him. 
All these proceeds went for the construction of the holy sanctuary, the tabernacle. Now, let me see where that's at. Hang on just one second. So by the time. So what was the punishment? So as they passed by, they would each drop in this half a shekel. What was the punishment for failing to pay this ransom? And it goes on to say, everyone who is, well, actually this is verse, I got something backwards here, I apologize. I mixed up something. I am so sorry for that. But there was consequences for failing to pay. And it says somewhere there, it says that uh, the, the, the um, plagues of Pharaoh would fall upon you. Do you remember what the plagues of Pharaoh were? They were the water turning to blood, the frogs, lice, flies, livestock, pestilence, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, and the killing of the firstborn. So when you are listening to the Lord and you're taking direction of the Lord, it's important to do it the way that he has instructed it. Or there is consequences for that behavior. We know this from well, a fam another famous example of the dangers of the census comes from the life of King David. He decided, if you remember, to count his fighting men. Joab objected and said, no, we can't do this. Basically, a paraphrase, of course. And this is in 2 Samuel 24, 3. It says, may the Lord God multiply the troops a hundred times over, and may the eyes of the Lord, the king, see it. But why does the Lord, my king, want to do such a thing? Joab is talking to Moses, or to David. He wanted to figure out how big his army was. Even Joab wanted to know how big, but he couldn't do it. He says, why? Because he knew that how dangerous it was to take this census. Yet David went ahead. He went ahead and did something that he shouldn't have done. Yes, he did the census, but he did not collect the half shekel. And so we read in 2 Samuel 24, 15, so the Lord sent a plague on Israel from the morning until the end of the time designated. And 70,000 of the people of Dan, from Dan to Bersita, died. And this was keeping what God did with Moses, taking that census without paying a ransom, would bring a deadly plague on the people of God. Yes, trying to do things the way you want it, doing it out of order will bring on consequences. I have to ask, are we willing to take that risk? Are we willing to step out from what God has called you to do and do it on your own? Are you willing to pay the price? Am I willing to pay the price? When I think of that list, it scares me. 
spoils, locusts, killing of the firstborn. Yeah, I don't want any of that. I want my ears open when the Lord speaks to me. I want to be able to hear clearly the directions that he has. So why were they taking this half shekel? In verse 16, God said to Moses, you shall take the atonement money from the sons of Israel and you shall give it to the service of the tent meeting that it may be a memorial for the sons of Israel before the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. I was kind of wondering why 11 to 16 are in this particular spot. Why? We're talking about the temple. We're talking about the, I mean, the tabernacle talking about the specifications for it, how to build it. And then all of a sudden, there's this thing about a census and money, and the money is for the contribution to the Lord. And I asked a bunch of people, and nobody knew. And I don't know. But this is kind of what I came up with. For whatever this is worth... Take it or leave it. I was thinking that the Lord is speaking to Moses. He's given him all these instructions. Now, you know, we already know the Lord knows all of our thoughts. He knows everything about us. And so I'm thinking that the Lord is telling Moses all this stuff to do, all this. And Moses might have been thinking, Lord, how are we going to sustain this? How are we going to pay for this? How are we going to make this happen? I mean, where's all the, where's the money going to come from? Now, I don't know. Maybe that's why he inserted here, to kind of put an answer to ease, to ease Moses' thoughts about this. Maybe Moses was getting sidetracked, getting overwhelmed about the direction and where it was going. Don't we sometimes get overwhelmed when we're stepping out and we're listening, even when we're listening to the Lord? How am I going to do that, Lord? How am, I gonna, how am I going to make that happen? And the Lord steps in and he provides a way. He makes a way when there seems to be no way. And maybe, just maybe, Moses at that moment in time needed that reassurance. Now, like I said, that's just, you can come to your own conclusion, take it or leave it for whatever it's worth. But those are the kind of questions that I like to ask and wonder in my own mind, because why is it that, why is money all of a sudden brought up? But here's another thing that you got to think about. This was portable. Do you know that they moved the tabernacle 30 times in 40 years? Anytime you start moving things around, they wear out. and it, They don't even have to be moved around to wear out. You can take this little drum set and move it and put it in your truck and take it home and go play a gig somewhere 
It's going to wear out because you're moving it around. You're setting it up. You're tearing it down. Setting it up. You're tearing it down. And it's going to wear out. It's going to have to be replaced somewhere along the way. And where are you going to get the funds to replace it? I was thinking about that. Even in, even in our own lives, in our home, in our cars, in our homes, we have a, we put a budget, right? We have a, a sideline budget item, if you will, for house maintenance. We do that here at Living Truth. We have a sideline for maintenance and all that stuff. Because things wear out. A lot of things get moved around. At some point in time, these pews will have to be reupholstered or whatever the case might be. The stage may have to be rebuilt. Where are the funds going to come from that? It's money that you put aside in your budget. This was money being put aside, contribution to the Lord to maintain the tabernacle. It doesn't talk about the, the way it's put up until Exodus 40, but just to give you a quick idea, how did Moses set up the tabernacle? Number one is he put up the bases in place, the foundation. Then he erected the frame rails, and then he inserted the crossbars, set up the posts. And you remember from a few weeks ago that the posts went down into silver sockets. Well, you know, silver wears and grinds, and it goes away. It's got to be replaced. And then they insert the tent, or they spread the tent over the tabernacle and put that covering over it. You have to realize that that tent covering is subject to the wind and the weather and the heat and the cold and just like anything else we have, it has to be maintained. You might say that it's a maintenance fund and it's provided by the people to help support as this tabernacle is transported. You can read Exodus 26, 18 and 19 to get the idea of the, some of the foundations, what it was made up. Anything made wears out over time. I want to go back to verse 15 just for a minute, if we may. If we may. Eh? I love this part. Love all of it. I'm finding a newfound love for the Old Testament. I've never been an Old Testament person because I live in the now, right? You know, I'm, I'm, I have enough trouble getting through now. <laughs> much less worrying about what happened in the past. But I'm finding a newfound appreciation for the Old Testament scriptures. And when we look at back at verse 15, it says, The rich shall not pay more than the poor, and the poor shall not pay less than a half shekel. When you give to the contribution of the Lord, make atonement. God is no respecter of person. Doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter if you're fat or skinny. <laughs> it doesn't matter what nationality you are, color you are, 
color your hair. The price is the same. Guess what? We're all equal at the cross. We're all equal at the cross. Short story. When I um, first became a pastor, I was going to some pastor prayer meetings with a lot of the pastors we were meeting over here at one of the big churches. I'll just leave names out of it. But there was this group of guys, probably 20, all pastors from Corona and the surrounding area. And they would meet once a week for prayer. And to be honest with you, I was in my... I was intimidated by some of these guys. I know this much of the Bible and they know this much of the Bible and they've been pastors for 40 and 50 years and I've been a pastor for a few years. But there was a couple things I learned in that, that they were human. They didn't really know everything either. And that we were all equal at the cross. And that's the way it is, my friends. Doesn't matter where you're from. I would say this, it only matters where you're going. (laughs) Yeah. And we also, you can use James for an example. James chapter 2, you remember it talks about the gentleman that walks in in a suit and the gentleman that walks in disheveled. We don't show partiality. God is no respecter of person. You don't show favor one over the other. And that's the way our God was with us. He doesn't show favor to us. We're equal When he went and laid his life down, he laid it down for the rich man. He laid it down down for the poor man. He laid it down for anyone who would believe and trust and receive. That's the question. That's the overall picture here is Christ. Christ is in this all the way through it. The cross is in this all the way through it. The same God that went to the cross is the same one that's talking to you. The same one that speaks to you. Remember, he left the Holy Spirit to talk to us, to help lead us and guide us into all righteousness. You may say, well, God's never spoke to me. And I would argue with you, maybe you didn't listen. Maybe you just weren't paying attention because you were so self-consumed. Because it doesn't have to always be audible, as we talked about earlier. This right here is his living word that he left for us. Precious. 
precious word. So I'm going to leave that section for now. We're going to move on. And I'm going to read 17 to 21, and then we'll come back and talk about a few things out of this. And verse 17 says, the Lord spoke to Moses. Wow. Didn't we just go through that? So he's speaking to him again. I would like to think there's a dialogue going on there. When you like to be a fly on the wall. Verse 17, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, you shall also make a labor of bronze with its base of bronze for washing and you shall put it between the tent of meetings and the altar and you shall put water in it. Verse 19, Aaron and his sons shall wash his hands and wash their feet from it. When they enter the tent of meetings, they shall wash with the water so that they will not die out, circle, underline, die, baby. Or when they approach the altar to ministry by offering up smoke and a fire sacrifice to the Lord. Verse 21. So they shall wash their hands and their feet so they will not die. And it will be perpetual. It shall be perpetual statue for them. For Aaron and his son's descendants throughout their generation. So you'll remember there's the doorway, then there's the altar of sacrifice, and then the bronze labor. So the priest would come through with the sacrifice, sacrifice the animals on the altar of sacrifice, which covers the sin, by the way, and then he would wash. He would go to the wash, the bronze labor. Now, we don't know how big it is. We don't, all we know is that it's a bronze labor, and it's in two pieces, and both pieces are made of bronze. Now, they suppose, of course, it was big enough for the priest to get around and wash. Now, when, they say, when we say wash hands and feet, we think, we think soap and water and scrubbing and all that. This was more of a ceremonial they just kind of run water over their hands and they run water over their feet. It's very important because if they didn't do this, it says that they would die. You could not enter the Holy of Holies if you were dirty. You would die. If I remember correctly, I think they used to tie a rope around the ankle of the priest before in case he went in and it was dirty and died. They would be able to drag him out because nobody could go in the Holy of Holies. That's a tough gig there, wouldn't you say? You better be clean. It's a matter of life and death. I know we chuckle, but man, it was, that's serious stuff. You do not enter the Holy of Holies dirty. I just wonder what we consider the Holy of Holies in this day and time. This is a place of refuge. It's a hospital for the sick. But I wonder if we really realize that this 
is somewhat holy ground. I had one pastor friend that always preached barefooted because he said that this was holy, holy ground. The fact of the matter is, I think that everywhere the Lord leads us is holy ground. So it says that they would die. You don't, it doesn't get much clearer than that. When they enter the tent of meeting, they will wash with water so that they will not die. Or, or when they approach the altar to minister by offering up smoke and fire sacrifice, so they wash not only their hands, but they wash their feet. There's a picture. Now, you remember the sacrifice of the animals, like we said, only covered the sin. And so they had to continually do this. Once a year, the priest would get the sacrifices and go in. Once a year. It's called the Day of Atonement. And there were strict rules, strict guidelines. Just like they were building, everything was put in a specific order, in a specific way, because that's the way God wanted it. That's the way God designed it. I think God designed us. We know that. We're made in His image. He designed us to strive for holiness. He designed us to strive to be righteous. And of course, because in my mother's womb I was conceived in sin, I need a Savior. I need help. My directions, my instructions to myself got me in wrong places. When you follow the direction of the Lord, he will lead you to the path of righteousness. But it goes back to, are we listening? And it goes even further, are we being obedient? Are we being obedient to what God has for each and every one of us? I fail miserably. I fail all the time. That's why I'm so grateful for his grace. I'm grateful for his long suffering. I'm grateful that he gives me second, third chances. So when they washed their hands and feet, it was a matter of life and death. 
the priest had to either wash or die. As David once asked, who may ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? And the answer is in Psalm 24, 3. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Washing was partly a matter of respect. When the priests entered the tabernacle, they were coming, in, coming to God in worship and washing their hands and their feet was part of their spiritual preparation for service. The physical washing was a sign of spiritual cleansing, much like baptism. You remember, we just did baptisms. We do them once a month. It's all symbolic, going down into the water and coming up fresh and new. Cleansed. Washed. A recognition. It was symbolic of their sanctification and was something they needed to do. Not just once, but every time they served. Remember the altar of sacrifice is where they made the atonement for their sins. The altar was symbolic of their justification. They were accepted by God on the basis of sacrifice. That's no longer true. We are sanctified. We are justified by the basis of not what we did, but what Christ did on the cross. That's why we can say that we're all equal at the cross. The next thing the priests encountered, which is symbolic of their sanctification, their sins were forgiven, but they still were sinners. Because of their continual sin, they had to continually wash their hands and their feet. This ritual of cleansing was symbolic of their progress and holiness. Even the priests, as holy as they were, had to be sanctified before they could enter the holy place and serve a holy God. I'd like to read this one little paragraph and then we're going to close it out. This is by John J. Davis. I don't know who he is. I liked what he said, so I want to read it to you. The basin provided a type of cleansing which served to maintain fitness for spiritual ministry. The priest's guilt because of sin was dealt with at the altar of sacrifice. Yet something else was required for effective fellowship and worship in the tabernacle. This had to do with the defilement of sin. That effect of sin, which the blood did not remove before one could enter the presence of a holy God. This had to be cared for. It followed a sacrifice at the altar that was based upon the merit of it, but was definitely a separate act. He is freed from the guilt of sin and its penalty by the application of the blood. Yet there remains defilement of sin that comes through daily living. This is cared for by the continuous washing of the water, which is the word of God. The Holy Spirit also plays a significant role in the application of that word of God. 
There is a sanctification which is complete and final, and that's through the blood of Christ. But there is also sanctification which is continuous and practical, and it paves the way for continued, effective fellowship with God. That's why we need to continually be refilled with the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why we come on a Wednesday. That's why we come to a Thursday or Friday morning Bible study. That's why we hang out together. That's why we break bread together and we fellowship together. So we can be restored in the fellowship of the faith of Jesus Christ. Obedience. Obedience seems to be one of the keys to this godly living. We know that to be true. Anytime we remain obedient to the word of God, we're blessed. Even if things go sideways, we are still blessed because we are saved by the blood of the Lamb. The world can try to destroy us, but they cannot take that from us. We have received that as a believer in Jesus Christ. It's a free gift. They cannot take it away from us, even as hard as they may try. If David would have just done what he was supposed to have done, if Jonah would have just followed direction that he was supposed to have taken, they would have never had to gone through the things that they went through. A lot of us would not have had to gone through the things that we did had we just been obedient to the Lord. But that's where that free will kicks in. God says, John, if you, if you want to run that way, go ahead. I'll be here when you get back. Sometimes you just got to hope you make it back. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people that don't. That breaks my heart. There's a lot of people I know that used to be walking the true, true line, walking with God the best that they could, the best that they knew how, and for whatever reason have gone sideways. Obedience is gone. Sacrifice is gone. It's gone back to my way. and not his way. So my prayer tonight for you as always is that you've heard something that sparked maybe a new fire in your heart. Maybe you've been lackadaisical lately for whatever reason. Maybe you've been struggling just to kind of pull it all together. I know there's a lot of hurting people. We get phone calls all the time and we know what's going on pretty much. But you got to plow through it. You got to stand strong. You got to stay obedient. I used to have a, in my old office, I used to have a, a plaque up on the wall and it said, Jesus never said it would be easy. He just said it would be worth it. 
And I believe that rings true. So that's what we got. If you haven't confessed Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I pray that you do tonight. If you're on the fence, maybe you're undecided, maybe you've been one foot in and one foot out, it's time to get both feet in. Maybe you just thought that I'd take a break. It's not easy being a Christian, is it? It's not easy, but it's worth it. The blessings outweigh the curses. Lord, as we come before you tonight, I just want to thank you, Lord, for everyone again here. Lord, if there's anyone that doesn't know you here tonight, I pray that they would before they leave. It's really very simple. Putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the finished work on the cross. Simply, it's as simple as saying, Lord, I'm a sinner and I need you. I confess my sins before you. Come into my heart, Lord, cleanse me from within. I'll follow you all the days of my life. But you got to mean it. Can't give him lip service because he knows. Maybe some of you are just sitting on the sideline for a minute. You need to get back in the race. Lord, help me get back in the race. Help me be obedient. Help me follow you. I want to get back on track. For those of you out there either by video or in the audience. If you're struggling with something, give it to the Lord. You don't have to carry those burdens by yourself. The price has been paid. Paid in full. He wants you to cast your cares upon him. I know there's a lot of people in the hospital a lot of people struggling with illness. We just ask, Lord, we come together as a body, Lord, and ask that you would touch each and every one. That you would heal them, Lord, according to your plan and your will for their life. And for the families, Lord, that are waiting and watching and praying and hoping, Lord, you would fill them with the Spirit and give them peace and comfort as well. It's just a great time to be alive, Lord. It's a great time. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. And thank you, Lord, that you still speak to us today. May we have ears to hear, Lord. Give us ears to hear what you're saying. In Jesus' name.